Welcome to the And The Net Appeared podcast. I'm your host, Chelsea Benzel, intuitive mentor for thought leaders, coaches, and content creators. In this podcast, you'll hear from badass humans who have taken big leaps of faith and the net appeared. Enjoy. I am here with Anna Kusak. Anna, I'm so happy to have you here. If you are new to Anna's work, Anna is a motherhood revolutionist. She's an author, podcaster, postpartum doula, and exercise physiologist, and a mother. And I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Chelsea. Such an honor. I'm excited to see where this conversation goes because I'm not a mother, but I still get so much from your work and what you share. I think for me, it's because you share so openly and so so focused on the realness of being a mother. And in so many ways, I relate to that because it's like giving me permission to own and accept the behind the scenes, the rawness of my life. It's really beautiful mm. work that you're doing. Thank you, Chelsea. Yeah. So I think what you're coming to there in terms of the realness of your life is that the narrative around womanhood and around motherhood is really split kind of into two camps of like the Instagram white linen perfect family photos or the I'm crying like slid down behind the kitchen sink eating my kids toast crusts and it can be both of those things but the majority of the time we spend in the in-between that zone and that's not necessarily what's talked about and I think that's the case for womanhood too and there's this real issue with the framing of women and of mothers in our society in general I feel because motherhood is considered synonymous with womanhood but they're not the same you know like we have to own our womanhood to step into our own power of our motherhood experience but it also doesn't mean that you have failed in some way if you choose or by circumstance don't enter the other social role that is motherhood like we're always in womanhood and then we may enter into motherhood at some time as well but I think the content that I provide is is really relevant to both of those things so yeah as you said in my introduction and thank you for that I I am a motherhood revolutionist I want to see the way that motherhood as a social construction and societal location yeah I want to see that done differently where we're not pigeonholed and where we are not only given responsibility to look after raise our children but also given the power and agency to affect change in our lives and build the lives that we want for our children and no one else is going to grant us that it has to come from us so this is the direction that my my work takes I work with families in planning for their postpartum period which is essentially like the fourth trimester if you consider the three trimesters of pregnancy and then the three months after the baby is born the baby's really not aware that they're a separate person from the mother and the mother's whole or majority focus and work in her physical body and in her energetic self is to nurture and bond with this baby and to learn how to breastfeed if that's what she wants to do and it becomes the role of everyone around her 
to step in and take on the things that she would otherwise do and really nurture her because she is mothering her baby and she needs to be mothered herself. So I work with families in maximising and mobilising the support that they have to make that happen, even things like helping dads understand what leave they're eligible for, which I know is different in Australia compared to every country has a different system in that. I help families to organise their food during that time because everyone will say, oh, but he can cook, it's fine, and it's a case of like, well, he could be, but that'll be two hours a day that he's not holding and caring for the baby and getting that chance to bond and you as the mother aren't sleeping. So it's maximising this this whole network and web of support around, I kind of think of it as like weaving your par- your own parachute before you jump out of a plane, <laughs> getting everything right before you take this big leap into the unknown. And, and then I assist families either in their home or in a remote mentoring capacity. If you imagine like a PA for your business or for your work life, then that's kind of what a postpartum doula can be as well as a breastfeeding supporter and part massage therapist, part cook, all those sorts of things. And, yeah, I do some mentoring through the early years of parenting and wrote my book, which will help with all of these things too. So, yeah, does that give you a bit of an idea? Yeah, absolutely. Can you tell us more about your book? I know that that's just up and coming. And I've seen you post a little bit about it, but yeah, I'd love to know sort of about the book and about what inspired you to take yourself down this path or to, how do I want to phrase that? I'd love to know about the book, but I'd love to know about what inspired this work. Yeah, so... Through the middle and second part of 2020, obviously coronavirus restrictions were chopping and changing where I lived. It became difficult to offer postpartum support or perhaps mentoring in a sense because, like, I was in the trenches of that myself and we made a little isolation bubble, isolation pod, and it was myself, my husband, our baby, our toddler, and my parents. And then pretty much overnight, my parents were called away to be hundreds of kilometres away from us to care indefinitely for an elderly relative. And so my husband was still physically going to work and any childcare that I had was pretty much like gone. And after a little while, I started, I'd been blogging before, but I started writing almost like a narrative kind of story of my own life to try and make sense of some things. So there were various times where I just kind of looked at the world around me and was like, am I crazy or is this really cracked? Like there were things that I might not have picked up on before. So for example, there's still ongoing destruction of Aboriginal sacred sites in Australia that's government sanctioned, which is horrific. And we were on this drive we did to see my grandfather. And on the way, we stopped at this place and there was these like placards that were put up at a rest stop park. So there was a playground for kids and a little cafe and a toilet block and a big open park. And and it had these placards, which were sort of in a shape like a wave. And on them, they had the stories of these sacred trees and the final one of those was 
saying something like, the signs are shaped in this way of representation to these sacred trees which were removed in the process of building the highway that you now travel on. And I was just like, before that I'd been like, oh, this highway is so great, we just want to get there. This is It was like it's like an eight-hour drive or something, not including stops with a toddler. It's really hard work. So I was like, yes, just want to get there as fast as we can. And then after that, I was like, oh, I wish we could have just taken a bit longer and gone around these trees. Like, I wish that they were still there for my children and for the Aboriginal children who have the connection to the land and country here. And all these things that they were just small things. Like, I'd see some event being advertised and it was meant to be all breastfeeding friendly and whatever. And then the sponsor would be like the formula company. And you're like, what message is coming through here? And there were just so many things that I was like, we're just being gaslit all the time. And I found around the same time or just before that, I'd found some additional study that I wanted to do around motherhood and dived into that and really found out about how our idea of the perfect mother changes according to our social and historical context. So what we might imagine to be like the perfect mum now is a different image compared to what my mum would have viewed as the perfect mum when she became a mother. And that is going to be different compared to if we were living in France or living in Turkey. Everywhere's going to have a different conception of that. And how have history and our whole connection of little points in time and policy and decisions and social influences and media and all these things collected to make mothers feel so much more under pressure now than they ever have before, while at the same time we're being told that you have dishwashers now, it's easier. Men never got any leave in our day, like aren't you lucky that you got in there or, you know, just all these things and it's like, well, actually women are spending, women who are mothers are spending more time with their children than they were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, but we're still feeling like we're not giving them enough. In Australia, at least, it's pretty much impossible to live off one income in a family. So mothers are also taking on more and more paid work outside the home. But statistically, as mothers work outside the home increases, their work inside the home doesn't decrease and fathers don't pick up anymore either. So that's in like hetero both working kind of families, but it's sort of reflective of the broader social trend that women have just taken on more and more and more roles and hats and not necessarily being given the support. And then we're just told, well, you better do some self-care. Like, why don't you meditate? That'll make it better. And it's like, well, actually we kind of need to unpack some of this to know why you're feeling broken mm-hmm. in the first place. And then when you understand that it's not you, then you can deal with all those other things on top of it and make some change in your life. But unless you understand that first, you're just on this treadmill of, well, I just have to work harder on the, on the balance. I have to get the juggle right. I have to master the juggle. And I went and I stood when shops open and stuff again, I went and stood in a bookstore. And I by this time it was like November and I decided to write my book already by that point, but I was writing it more like narrative style. And I went and stood in the bookstore I went to the parenting section and there were like hundreds of books on like 
introducing solids and weaning and toilet training and different parenting approaches and um, pregnancy and congratulations, you're going to be a dad. And there was not a single book that was like, this is the experience, this is what you're in for, like this is what motherhood is like. And there are a couple of books here and there, but I only know that because I've been looking for them. They're not available like mainstream and they're not necessarily written in a way that is super accessible to everybody. There was one book that I found in the self-help section and it was about like how to slay motherhood and be all the things to all the people. And I was like, no, this is exactly the opposite of the message that I want. And I feel like this has been a recurring theme in my life that there's been like, I want this or I wanted this at the time and it didn't exist. So I have to make it. And I pushed on and I was writing this narrative story and I got to like, I don't know, 6,000 or 8,000 words or something like that. And then I just went, all right, I think I've done this now. I think that was just the therapy that needed to happen to get a whole lot of stuff off my chest, a whole lot of grief about wanting to share certain things with friends who had passed and all this different stuff that I just was holding on to. And then I went, okay, clean slate, let's make a start. So I had a working title, which nothing has superseded. So the title is Mama, You're Not Broken unmasking the unspoken emotions of modern motherhood and I sat down and I opened 10 word documents and I wrote chapter headings on each of them and they're all the things that are in between those high and low points that we talked about before so there's guilt and anger fear overwhelm grief uncertainty feeling invisible feeling alone boredom and even feeling contented like you're allowed to say, oh, this is brilliant, but it's also so hard. But you're not actually allowed to say, I really love my work of raising my child. It's a, it's my career of choice. It's brilliant because everyone will look at you and think like, well, that's not special. Like that's not ambitious. That's like what a waste of your talent, of your time. You're a leech on other people. You're a leech on welfare. And we're also set up to feel like you can only be involved in advocacy or feminism of any kind if you are out in public making a difference. And for me then to be like sitting on my kitchen floor playing Play-Doh with my kid on a weekday and having a nice time, that's kind of, it's a bitter pill to swallow when you've really felt that you've been like really into women's rights and yeah looking at the ways that patriarchy has hijacked motherhood but also even hijacked our enjoyment of our mothering practice the raising of children so yeah it's a very conversational book um anything that i've just explained then is probably more complex than the actual <laughs> text of the book itself and yeah i think it's going to be a really meaningful entry point for a lot of women to realize that they're not alone and that they're not broken. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's such an important message to get across, especially when everything that you've just mentioned is geared towards like not feeling enough. You know, mm, it's not a constant theme. 
Yeah. You're never enough. Yeah. And we can't turn around and ask people just to think positive or to take responsibility for their health or whatever it is if we're constantly inflaming them. Yeah. It's not fair. So, yeah, this is to sort of like drop the veil on all of that stuff to go like, okay, well, when you're aware of all these things, it's easier to sort of brush it off or to take small steps or to do the little, like the little entry points of inner work that open up a whole new avenue for you. But unless you know that stuff, you're too busy being busy, trying to keep up with everything and everyone else's needs to be able to take that step back. And I think it also to go along with that, we've sort of been placed into this situation where we are So the perfect mother in most of our Western minds is one who is in service of our children, who loves them above all else, who makes sure there's dinner on the table, who, you know, is really the provider of everything as well as the nurture and the raising. But also we're put in this predicament where we feel like if we then start taking care of our needs, it's taking something from them. Mm-hmm. If we start winning, our children automatically start losing. And the research clearly shows that that's not the case. There is strong data to affirm that women who are mothers who spend more time in the things that they enjoy and less time with their children, both the children and the mother have higher life satisfaction and feelings of connection compared to mothers who only spend their time in service without doing any of the things for themselves and spend more time with their children. They are the ones who have lower rates of Mm -hmm. satisfaction and they're the ones who buy in more heavily or have been sort of put by default into this place of a good mother puts herself last without knowing that there's an alternative that is going to be of greater benefit. And when we come from a place of finding what is best for ourselves and for our family and really assessing where our own values are and, you know, and why we're getting angry instead of just getting mad at our kids for tipping us over the edge and then berating ourselves after that and then deciding that we're awful people and inherently faulty and inherently inferior and unable to be a good mother because we're not emotionally stable or whatever it is. We can separate ourselves from those things. Then there's so much, there's so much untapped potential. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's my book. Mm. It sounds like such an important conversation to be having and to be initiating because Without that permission, without that sense of feeling like you're not broken, (laughs) that you're navigating this new world, I'm thinking of new mothers, you know, Mm -hmm. entering this when all of the conditioning has been, here's what you need to do, this belief that you need to put everyone else before you and that if you don't, you're a bad mother. Yeah. And then overlay the pandemic on top of that and all the other pressures and things like that. It's just, it is a, 
a really toxic cocktail until you can see the layers of it. Mm-hmm. And when you can see the layers, it loses its power. And there's a lot of power there, you know. Women are 50% of the population and around about 80, 85% of those women become mothers and that's a lot of voters. <laughs> that's a lot of people controlling the buying power of our countries. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And it's an important conversation to be having to prepare the next round of people who will become mothers, but also acknowledging that you don't have to be a mother to be affected by these things. There's, yeah, there's horrible data and research around how women of a childbearing age are less likely to be interviewed and promoted because of subconscious bias against them in case they were to become pregnant. They may have no intention of ever having children. But because we have this motherhood and womanhood is synonymous, women who have no interest in bearing children are still being inflicted with a penalty that no one should be getting in the first place. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And regardless of our desire to have biological children or not, there is so much great nurturing capacity in women and in men that is not being fully expressed and we're missing out on so much connection and joy and wonder. Like it's so wonderful being in the life of a child. It doesn't have to be yours. But we're missing out on, you know, kid giggles and tickles and reading books and finishing the end of a sentence and all sorts of lovely things because we've got everyone sectioned off into little nuclear families and it's not it's not good for anyone's mental health. <laughs> so can you elaborate on that a bit? Are you saying, are you referring to adoption? Are you referring to just having kids in your life? Yeah, I just mean we're meant to be in communal situations where we're all raising our children together. There's a beautiful book by my doula teacher julia jones called newborn mothers and she was interviewing some aboriginal women in western australia and she asked them she was talking about breastfeeding and she said well who fed the babies who looked after the babies and they laughed and one of them after a while just said whoever had a clean titty and it's like this is the extent of communal child raising that was done that it was done from other other bodies wow not even just like looking after and this is you know this has only been disrupted in the last couple of hundred years in australia like it's not that long ago and yeah so i I was talking about just in general our enjoyment of children so i think it's a real gift to if you do have children to invite other people in to share them and to share your world and it's fulfilling for both of you and it's not a sign of weakness. So before I had my daughter, I figured out this was pre-COVID, but I made up a little roster where I had, so like my sister didn't start work until Wednesday afternoons. So on a Wednesday morning, I asked her to come for like two hours in the morning for the first six weeks or eight weeks or something. And my best friend 
had Fridays free. So she would come and have Friday mornings with me. And then we sort of like had a couple of other options, but we had a, a few people set in where it was like, could you come for two hours at this time on a Wednesday morning for this specified period of time when my husband first goes back to work? And my daughter's nearly two and I still see my sister every Wednesday morning. And this is the most time we've ever, ever spent together. My friend who was coming to see me on a Friday, she's now had her first baby and we can do the same thing in reverse. And my toddler and I can go and help at her house instead. And, you know, she is so much, I can see in both of them, they're so much more confident with kids and it's a whole lot of learning around nonverbal communication and and facial expression reading and empathy and patience and wonder and being mindful of what's around you when we can step in and, and see life through the eyes of a child. And even if that is coming in for an hour a week to play while it means that I get to go and cook dinner with two hands, like that's, a, that's a, actually a gift for all three of those people. It's not that she's coming in and doing a favour for me. It's actually a really lovely something for her to look forward to as well. And there are a few friends that I've spoken with who have said like just how how much they have learned from watching. You know, there's so many valuable skills like around breastfeeding, for example, that you can, you can look at a diagram and talk through things all you want. But unless you see someone like, struggling and and like physically in front of you demonstrate six different breastfeeding positions until you find the one that works at that point in time then all that is just like stored in their memory bank for later so when they're struggling and you've only ever it's like breastfeeding is kind of like sex ed where you think that like until you actually start the really dry version of sex ed is like only missionary exists, but there's a billion different possibilities. Like on the movies and stuff, people are only breastfeeding, holding the baby in their arms. But there's a zillion different ways that they can be doing it. But if your baby doesn't like the in-arms kind of position and they're fussing, straight away you think there's something wrong with you. So, yeah, there's plenty of learning that can be done just by being around and you don't have to know any answers because most of the time mum will find her own. You just have to be there for her to bounce it off and feel like she's not going crazy in nursery rhyme land. (laughs) Yeah, I can see how that shift from communal living and just being around babies and kids and having everyone be a part of that. When we moved away from that, like you said, into like nuclear families we are so influenced only by that education that's like Mm. pretty basic I would imagine or what we've seen in the movies or what we've heard but when you've been around someone when raising a child isn't something completely foreign to you the first time that you have your own and you find yourself having to navigate this and the more you know the more you see what the breadth of normal is and you don't worry because your baby's not doing something exactly by the book because the book is mostly made up from 1950s like it's still such a hangover from like so many of the guidebooks around that stuff are still hangovers from when physicians were telling mothers not to touch their babies for more than 10 minutes a day 
Like it's heartbreaking. Wow. So, yes, it's a wonderful thing to be able to share it around. So that's what I'm really very passionate about is showing the benefits, not only the drawbacks, but also demonstrating just how manageable it is to ask for and receive help when you know the process of how to do it. Mm-hmm. And that process is really particularly important because our brains go through such a massive rewiring during pregnancy and those early years postpartum. So when you're pregnant, your brain actually like the placenta goes about sending hormonal information to the brain and the brain goes about cutting a whole lot of nerve connections that aren't needed anymore for the baby's survival. So baby brain is totally a thing. By the time you are full term, the total brain volume is down to about 70% instead of 100% because it's cleaned off so much dead wood because your brain is aware of just how much you're going to have to learn in terms of new skills to be able to be totally in it with your baby and to give them the best chance of survival. And so a lot of that rewiring happens in the first couple of years post-birth and that's the time where you're really like just doing things on trial and error and seeing what works for your kid and seeing what doesn't work. And then if you have another baby, the same thing happens. You're still on trial and error because they're a unique personality different from the first one. And so sometimes it looks like mums are doing things on autopilot or by instinct or whatever. And you're like, why don't I have that instinct? I'm not maternal. But it's a case of that they've just seen that tiny little like flicker of a facial expression or heard that slightly different cry enough times that they know that they can skip straight to the two or three things that work without trying 20 other things first. And that process is really what is being the most intensive time of that is in that first six to 12 weeks post-birth. And that's the time where we need to be resting, like allowing the uterus to contract back to size without being on your feet too much because it's big and you've just pushed a baby out so like the risk of like prolapsing is high in that period of time if we're doing too much stuff we need people to come in and care for us physically but we also need to come in and care for us emotionally because it is bloody tiring growing new nerves like I used to work in a hospital in rehabilitation and stroke patients for example would need a really big sleep after a workout or after a task where they really had to concentrate because their nerves are regrowing and we're regrowing a whole lot of our brain matter in ways that are connecting and nurturing for both mother and baby. And if there's not support during that time and mother feels fearful, then a whole lot of hormonal things happen. The breastfeeding letdown reflex cannot work because of stress. So mums will think that their milk has dried up, but perhaps it's just that no one's around to support them. So there's like an evolutionary block that's like, it's not safe here. Wait until it's safe. And in that time, we, we're going, oh, shit, baby's got to feed. I'm not making any milk. We'll have to go to formula. And then when you start doing the formula, your breasts don't make as much milk because they're not getting the feedback that it's been emptied. And these things can sort of like snowball really quickly. And a lot of the times when we're talking about really high rates of postnatal depression, a lot of this is actually a really sensible response to the fact that we're under-supported. So the brain is in a state of inflammation and depletion 
because we've not received the nurture that we need in that healing phase and it can take a really long time to switch that switch that off so much so, of yeah. that comes back to the support and the living in communal society yeah. yeah and so if we don't have if we don't live in those communal societies how are we going to actually make that happen in our life and every family is unique every mother's birth plan is going to be slightly different based on her circumstances and her preferences and the same needs to apply to her postpartum and breastfeeding plan so yeah that's where I'm at and that's where you come in Mm. motherhood revolutionist I love that so much it's like changing the way we think about motherhood and doing things differently seeing things differently yeah, and it's not a case of that we have to revolutionise everything that we're doing all at once, but if you imagine that a little bit gets chipped away from the patriarchal-defined version of motherhood that we're in right now, by the time my daughter's 30 instead of me being 30, how can that be different for her? A lot of these steps are going to make us feel better in our immediate experience, but I want it to be that all these supports and whatever else are just no-brainers that people go like, oh, they did that? They did that differently before? Like how it's not even weird for me and my husband to both go and vote. I want her to be like, well, of course this is how it is. Yeah, yeah. It's my birthright. Yeah, just changing it all around, revolutionising the way. Yeah, and I think there's there's quite a swell happening around like birth advocacy is really strong in Australia. There's a really excellent Australian documentary that's just won some big international awards called Birth Time and it's really looking at shaking up the maternity system and I think having women birth in their power is a great start and we also need to follow it up beyond that. So, yeah. And, you know, I'm all about doing things differently, seeing things differently, going after what feels like a yes. Like I would imagine that a lot of the things, the ways of seeing things and doing things now that aren't supportive to us on some level, we know, we know it's not supportive. We know it's not feeling good. The example that comes to mind is like being isolated from everyone and Mm. thinking you need to do everything on your own. When that doesn't feel like your truth, seeking something new and I would imagine that you doing this work you're speaking to the women who know already that something needs to shift here something would feel a lot I think better. it's it's the it's the women who have that niggle of like something's not right yeah like people will come to this message when they're ready right like any message but I think there's a lot of women starting to feel the discontent and the pandemic has exacerbated that. I think there was a whole issue or a big coverage recently, perhaps in the New York Times, about mothers being so overloaded in the pandemic and the impossibility of working from home while raising children and still having them overnight and not being able to leave and the disparity even in two-parent families between the womb parent and the non-womb parent. And it's not just a case of that every partner is lazy. It's a case of we've both been socialised into this from the start. And, yeah, I think there are a lot of mothers ready to 
have that next level of, I want to say awakening, but I feel like they're stirring, you know, like I feel like they're waking up, but they just don't know what, what direction to take it in yet. Yeah. That's why I'm happy to get you here in front of my audience and to get your work out into the world in a way that speaks to the people who are stirring, that are beginning to look Mm. for ways to do things differently. And a lot of what we talk about on the podcast here is, yeah, going after the things, seeking out the new avenues, the new ways of seeing things, doing things, believing things that maybe go against what is the norm. Yeah. And the other norm that goes along with a lot of your wonderful work around meditations and beliefs and all that kind of stuff is that there seems to be this sense that our children are in the way to our spiritual growth rather than on the way. And for the women who become mothers, then it's a very integral, profound part of that spiritual journey. There's so much that you learn about yourself when it's reflected back to you in your children. And it's not the children that are getting in the way. It's all of the expectations that are placed around what it means to mother children and how the word to mother a child is different from the phrase to father a child, like to donate one cell. And then the mother does the rest of the raising the child until they're old enough to leave the nest and still cooks them Christmas dinner when she's 60 and for all their kids and whatever else, because that's what a good mother does, you know? Mm. Yeah. It's, it's an intergenerational thing. Yeah. Yeah. And even if you have no interest in having children as a woman, I feel that knowing this kind of stuff really helps you to make sense of some of the relationship dynamics that you see, some of the relationships and either hurts or loves that you have for your own mother, how your relationship with your nieces and nephews, how and why that might be different to the direct mothers. And also for the men and the fathers to have a real, a better understanding of how and why things are the way they are in their homes, even if they haven't chosen it. There's information that suggests that parents who are really committed to the joint raising of children, still generally slip back into traditional gendered roles. And, yeah, to know why that is instead of hating each other is really powerful. Yeah, like anything, knowledge is power. This has been so good to chat with you. Where do you hang out on the internet? Where can people find you? Pretty much everywhere. So my website is www.annacusack.com.au because I'm in Australia.au. I am on Facebook and Instagram. If you search for at Anna Cusack postpartum, then you'll find me there. I also have a podcast, Motherhood Made Magic, and I have lovely conversations like this bringing the work of basically showing you how the mothers that are doing it differently are doing it and following their passions, which is a really beautiful project that I've started. And my book will be available on Amazon for Kindle and paperback version towards the middle and end of April and hopefully audiobook if I can get myself to a recording studio between now and then. Yeah. And if you want to find me on Clubhouse, this is a new toy of mine as well. That's just Anna Cusack. So I'll send you all those links, Chelsea, and you can share them out. 
Yeah. So take a look in the show notes. If you're listening here on the podcast. Uh, we're also recording this as a live stream on my Facebook page. So if you have enjoyed this conversation, feel free to pop over to my Facebook page, Chelsea Benzel, head to the videos tab. And if you want to share your thoughts or connect with Anna or myself, just tag us in the comments and we'll come mm-hmm. back around and wrap you up in our love and say hello yeah please do please do a lot of the sort of skill building and doing of the preparation for postpartum stuff is available as free videos on my facebook and igtv as well so you can find a whole lot of useful resources there oh beautiful thank you thank Mm. you for doing this work too for paving the way to usher in a new way of doing things and seeing things and relating to motherhood Mm, thank you such a pleasure to have you on Anna thank you so much Chelsea wonderful to have this chat thank you for listening everybody yeah thank you and I will catch you again on the next episode thanks so much for listening if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to the podcast We'll be releasing a new episode each week, so I'll catch you again on the next one. 